Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Righteous Prick Podcast. I'm your host, J.L. Covan. It is 12.53 p.m. Eastern on March 13th in the year of our Lord, 2023. Great bonus episode on the Patreon for all those uh, few, the few, the proud, those with money to burn. Uh, it was a fun, morbid uh, Patreon episode where I teased everybody about uh, my special selling and it really I really got everybody and I just thought why should I be the only one upset depressed and miserable about my failures why don't I enjoy why don't I include the Patreon community so thank you to everybody who subscribes to that Uh, I'm sure I lost 10 subscribers just for the the cruelty Uh, but the cruelty is the point that's both Trump's policy and my reason for doing comedy cruelty is the point self-cruelty in my case but I'm sitting here, I'm well past uh, green tea with matcha and walnuts, uh, so you can hear it from my healthy, upbeat voice. I just had a Simple Mills almond flour bar, um, you know, because I'm super healthy and I love buying uh, six tiny snack bars for $7 at Whole Foods. I just, I buy groceries for the job I want, not the job I have. That's always my philosophy. Look like you're successful and then one day you'll be homeless. Um, And I'm drinking water. Nature's soda. So uh, I'm feeling good-ish. Not really. I just had a physical therapy session, which was grueling. They're all fucking grueling. Um, But we're making progress on the shoulder. So sometime... Here's the question. Will I do a push-up or have a special out first? Uh, And we have to rule out, obviously, person of height. Which I've put together. The set is final, finalized. I say this all the time, but I already think person of height might be funnier than half blackface. Some of it is because it's newer. Some of it is because it feels a little more free and less less burdened by all the problems of half blackface. But half blackface, while I would never do a one man show, I would rather I would rather drown my comedy career in a bathtub than do a one man show. It has some thematic elements, whereas person of height is going to just be sort of just just a straight up hour of like funny bits, a little bit, you know, some broader themes. But it's, you know, half blackface is basically here's my rise to fame and how it fell apart. And then here's my life as a half black person who looks white to a lot of people. So there's a lot of bits from my life, from the pandemic, from my childhood. But you can kind of put it into sort of two big theme, overarching themes for Half Blackface, which, by the way, I think we are in day 512 since the first taping and day 304, I think, since the second taping. So um, that continues to uh, eat at me um, like a cancer, possibly giving me cancer. Like if you read studies, like if, if I all of a sudden go from a healthy person to like having some terminal illness in the next six months, like I want... I, I might want my body autopsied like 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 the way they do for football players with CTE, and I just want to like find if there's any link to half blackface and whatever kills me. And then I want the people who caused it to be sued into poverty and depression um, also. Because um, once I'm dead, um, I don't ask my followers and friends and fans to turn the other cheek. I'll do the cheek turning, okay? Which, which sounds like... Uh, you know, like a dominant gay man, what he would say. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. Forgive everybody, uh, half blackface. Just because it ruined my career in life 
doesn't mean that those people shouldn't go on to have successful, thriving careers in the entertainment business. While while I, uh, while I die an entertainment death, more brutal than anything. Anyway, guys, moving on. Um, and by the way, uh, in 11 days, it's the three-year anniversary of the Trump Easter video, the, the video that changed my life largely for the worst. Um, but, you know, I have a stack of cash in the bank that I'm not doing anything with, so thank you for that. But, um, yeah, uh, that'll be fun, celebrating the three-year anniversary. Uh, Sarah Cooper's on Broadway, has a memoir coming out. I've sold uh, 15 tickets to my next special taping. So we're, we're both thriving. That Speaking of which, guys, the Patreon people got the news first, but I have canceled the March 31st recording. Um, let's just give some inside baseball because a hallmark of my comedy career is brutal honesty. Um, being funny and being brutally honest um, and not combined. I, I don't need my comedy to be raw and honest and powerful. Fuck off. But in real life... When I tell you the truth about comedy, I try to be raw, honest, and powerful. And uh, I had sold as of Friday, Friday? As of Friday, I had sold five tickets to the uh, March 31st show. Five tickets. In case you're wondering, that's not a lot. Um, but not to be outdone, I had only sold eight tickets at that point to the, uh, to the Saturday, April 1st show. April Fool's Day. And you can, obviously, uh, I am the fool. But I said, okay, well, eight is certainly more than five, and it's a Saturday. So let's cancel the, the Friday show. So the Friday show was canceled. I posted on social media that I had canceled it. And the next day, before the website could take it down, before the, uh, before the triad could take that down, I sold two tickets to the Friday show. And I just thought, of course, nobody's bought tickets to that show in like two weeks. But of course, I sold, I sold two tickets. The, the day I canceled the show, two tickets get sold to that one. So the March 31st show is canceled. So we're back in, um, and, and, and this is, uh, you know, if you're a Patreon subscriber, uh, you just listen to that episode. Cause I break down uh, a lot of, uh, you know, sort of where that ranks historically in my career. Hint it's dead last, but you know, you just sort of have to question your, 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 your wisdom and your, your perseverance doing comedy when, you know, it's, I, I just, I'm, I'm at a loss for words and I'll move on because we want to talk about Oscars and movies and stuff like that. But it's, as you can imagine, and this is for, this is for everyone who told me over the last three years that something was my big break or this was it and I needed to stop being so negative and pessimistic. I sold more tickets to every single album taping at this point before the taping than this one so i have data from a moderate size sample size because i've been so prolific uh that proves that my career in some respects is never has never been worse uh so that's obviously odd and disheartening but that's that's sort of there's no way to like sugarcoat that um it's just that's that's just a fact like i've never been this close to a show with this few tickets sold to it to a taping so um that's just what it is and we 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 move on with it and and it would just really help i think my psyche um if i could be unburdened by half blackface if that if i could have any news on that good bad or indifferent but needless to say you know by me signing off on it we just entered a new world of the pitch phase which who knows
hey cookie is that uh, 10 days is that 10 weeks is that a decade we really don't know and we're in no position based on this experience to say anything you know it's it's I just think, I, I just hope anybody who has ever told me anything positive about my comedy career can just realize JL was right. And it's, it's unfortunate, but JL knows what he's talking about. JL wants to succeed. JL works hard. So maybe when JL was being pessimistic about lip syncing, becoming, taking over, or about the industry ignoring him, or that he couldn't quit a day job because he had no faith in comedy, he was right the whole time. So I get my, my, my wish. I could be happy or I could be right, and it appears that comedy has allowed me to be right. So thank you for that comedy. It's been a magical 20-year journey. Anyway, guys, the Friday show's canceled, and as a friend reminded me, uh, I'm competing against the final four. And uh, so what? Um, if a comedian can't get 100 ticket sales to a special taping, Especially after the last special taping was such an emotionally draining experience and this special represents sort of a, this is like Taylor Swift re recording her own song so she can have like economic freedom from her label. Um, th this, is, this is a smaller version of that, obviously, but this is a very important. So if a comedian can't sell 100 tickets in his hometown, regardless of what's competing, um, then he should probably not be doing comedy. And that's, that's okay, the, you know. Uh, I'm a capitalist. I believe in I believe to a certain degree in the free market and the, and the market uh, speaking and the market. The, the invisible hand of the market has bitch slapped me. <laughs> and uh, so that's it. So if Adam Smith or whoever the fuck came up with the invisible hand of the market. Uh, I hear you. You are seen. And uh, that's it. So that's an update on that. I obviously have shows in D.C. this Sunday which has been a humongous hassle. They finally, on the ninth time, got, got the show lineup right. Me and Chris Lamberth. So that's D.C., 7 p.m. at the D.C. Improv on Sunday the 19th. Um, I don't know, probably, possibly the last time I ever perform at that club, the club that first paid me in 2004 to MC for Gary Owen. Uh, it's a very special place. It's a great club. But, um, you know, I've dated great women that, that I broke up with or that didn't want to date me. It doesn't make them bad people. Um, but it means that the relationship's over. And that's, that's sort of what it feels like with the DC Improv. Um, and maybe I'm wrong, but... So, so if you're in DC and you're a fan, um, you know, do something else, because that's probably what you'll do. Uh, after that, Philadelphia. Not sure how ticket sales are for that, but uh, if I'm just guessing if past is prologue, they're bad, um, except for Mick DeFlo, who's fucking killing it. Like, all his people are going to be there, so... Um, I'll probably have to just give him like half the money out of, out of a guilty conscience. Uh, Saturday the 25th, I'm at the Princeton Catch a Rising Star. Uh, my money is fixed there, so I would just tell people if you're choosing between Philly and Princeton, go to Philly. If you can't go to Philly and you can go to Princeton, go to Princeton. But my money, uh, I get the same check regardless of how many people show up on, uh, on the 25th. And then after that, I have my checkup with my shoulder doctor, the new one, the second opinion one, who will you know, tell me that uh, he's got a amputate the arm and then uh, after that it's just april 1st april fool's day one taping i'm still in the position that i was in in 2006 when i recorded my first album one show one take make something really good mm, hope for the best prepare and expect the worst
So there it is. Uh, that's your update on JLS Comedy Career. I am also a part of the Red Bank Comedy Festival on April 29th. Um, so if you if that if you sound like if that feels close to you or whatever, uh, tickets. I think I put the ticket link on my website for the festival. Um, and other than that, not much to report. It's uh, you know, half blackface continues to exist in purgatory. Um, I keep having these like momentary lapses of optimism where I'm going, what, what if it does sell? And I have to, you know, I have to, I have to electric shock my testicles every time just to remind me that that's a bad thought. Um, that's, those are not helpful thoughts to my overall well-being. but I can't help it because I know I made something really good. So we can all hope we can all, well, some of us can pray. All of us can hope some of us can pray. And, uh, but I just hope uh, a person of height, like obviously I want to sell tickets to D.C. and Philly, especially because the more tickets I sell, the more money I make. But it's that's obviously in the grand scheme of things irrelevant. Person of height's going to be, I really, I mean, I feel like I've done enough of these to know when I've got a, a great fucking hour and I got a great fucking hour ready to roll. So be there if you can. And if you can't, um, if you're somebody who, you know, has you listen to this podcast, that's a certain level of support. If you're a Patreon person, I appreciate that. If you've come to other shows or bought albums or whatever, all of it's appreciated. Um, but, you know, if you if you want to see uh, another great hour, brand new of material, I hope to see you there. And if, if you can't make it, that's okay, too. Um, but uh, it'll be available probably, I don't know where it'll, it'll be available, up my, up my ass probably. So you'll just have to um, tap your credit card on my asshole and I'll shit out a special. Now, um, why am I speaking like this? This isn't even depressing. This is just gross. Um, no, it'll probably be just one of these fucking YouTube specials that, that, you know, Hey guys. And I can, I can feel embarrassed when my 66,000 subscribers don't watch it. So I don't, I don't know. Um, I might, I don't really want to make it for sale per se. Like I might put it up on Patreon first or something and then just make it available i don't i don't know at this point clearly if you if you've been listening you know that the business marketing side of comedy is has perpetually been a weak point for me i i only perfected the writing and performing part of comedy but uh, obviously those are sort of of tertiary importance in the business how many tiktok followers and do you have a fucking famous person you open for that you've become their lafou to their gaston to make a Beauty and the Beast reference. Because, um, boy, oh, boy, I got to say, I got a special place of hate in my heart for headliners who bring dog shit openers. Because, um, man, being an, being an opener for somebody is is like, it's, it's better than what I'm doing financially. Because you're guaranteed work. Um, you get probably tipped out. It's just uh, being somebody's opener, you know, being... Being somebody's bottom bitch is like better than being your own independent sex worker. <laughs> like comedy is the one thing where having a pimp is better than have like like I'm an OnlyFans comedian. It's like I do it all on my own. Okay, I'm just being a white trash chick from Florida. If that's all right. I do it all on my own. Just watch my content. And if you like it, give me a tip. And you can get exclusive VIP shit if you pay extra. And you'd think like, wow, that's so great. And then it's like, 
it's a role reversal in comedy where the you know you think the woman with the pimp would be in danger all the time but it's like no no he treats me great he 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 gets me a hotel he tips me more than the club pays me and i'm i'm working every weekend cuz he's popular so i'm popular so so if i get six shows a week 45 weeks a year and i'm selling my merch and getting a hotel and tipped out i'm doing much better career wise at least on the bottom line than the OnlyFans comedian who's like, why ain't nobody subscribing to my OnlyFans? Why don't y'all, why don't y'all support independent sex workers? So, that's where I'm at. Um, the worst OnlyFans comedian. <laughs> so, let's talk about movies, guys. That's enough of that dreary talk, shall we? Let's talk about something that really got me angry last night, and that's the Academy Awards. Uh, I disagreed with almost every category. Um, everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, like I said, it was it was my fifth. I had it, I believe, at number five. Yes, I had it at number five in my ranking of, of the Best Picture nominees. It did not make my top ten for the year, excluding anybody who's on Patreon. I think it was the episode Oxy Content where I gave my top ten movies of the year and gave a, a very stirring... Um, stirring praise of, of Tom Cruise and his role in movies and why I thought Top Gun should win Best Picture this year. It obviously didn't. It won Sound Awards. Um, but everything everywhere all at once, I think, cracked the formula. It, it, it really hit the algorithm. Like, our brains are almost wired like algorithms. And I'm not... There are plenty of people who genuinely loved the movie, thought it was great and creative, and it is. It's very creative. It's, it's, it's a fairly original. Although it was like my third or fourth multiverse movie I'd seen in the last like two years, and I was like, enough with the fucking multiverse. But the A24 crowd, it was like a cool action fun movie for the A24 crowd. So it was like, it was like when the nerd gets to be like in an acapella group with the quarterback, and it's like, yeah, we're kind of buddies. Like, I feel like everything, everywhere, all at once was like, this is a high-minded comic book type movie, so we can all agree, right, that we love this, it makes us cool, and it makes the comic book crowd seem a little more refined. Look at that. Great. And it's 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 an Asian, it's it's a lot of Asian people, so you're getting, um, you know, some, you know, if you're, if you're, uh, if you're, uh, a white in Hollywood, you get diversity credit without having to give full credit to black people for things. So you get like, and then there's conservatives who like to use that as like, I think a bludgeon, like, oh, it's, and because that's a wedge they can divide between black people and everybody else is going, oh, so, and I've made sort of comments like this in the past because I felt like Oscars so white in a certain way didn't acknowledge like other advances, but at the same time, um, there, the, the black experience and discrimination against black people in this country is a unique form of discrimination the same way um jewish people would be fully right to call anti-semitism its own sort of a unique insidious form of disgrace uh, discrimination with with some of its own unique issues and and experiences but but anti-black discrimination is a different more overarching systemic form of discrimination that is last in this country than other forms of discrimination not that they don't exist and of course yes there has been a lot of uh, uh, attacks on Asian people. And so it's not to diminish those things, but when, when you'll see certain conservative commentators, I think, and I, I hope I never went this far in, in sort of what I was saying, but you will uh, 
they will use things like this as a as a bludgeon or to divide sort of go oh so diversity isn't really what black lives matter or black activists care about they really care about black representation so they don't really care if guillermo del toro wins for pinocchio or if this brilliant and they'll start like overpraising everything uh, this brilliant asian-led film wins so many awards um, and and the representation of of Indian people winning multiple awards. I guess that's not good enough. And that's that's the slick way of doing what America has always done, which is first discriminating against people, but then finding a way to accept them in slightly as a wedge against Black people. The most infamous examples would be how like Italians and Irish, and even to some extent Jewish people were treated, but then. If it became a battle between white and black, all of a sudden you sort of expand your ranks and the Irish need not apply signs, disappear, etc. So I say that in anticipation of some sort of diversity argument. And yes, I, but, but on the flip side, it was, there was an incredible amount of diverse representation and, and winning at the, at the Oscars last night. I fucking hated it all on the merits, not on, not, not the color of the skin, but the, the mediocreness of your movies. Um, let's start with Best Picture. I would have accepted All Quiet on the knowing that Top Gun was not going to win, or Elvis, knowing that two of my favorite three films of the year were not going to win. Um, I would have gladly accepted All Quiet on the Western Front and Banshees of Inisherin. But it became very painfully clear throughout the night that it was going to be everything, everywhere, all at once as night. Shut up, Cookie. God, she's annoying sometimes. I love her, but she's annoying as shit. Um, and, of course, it, it won. It won Best Picture. And um, the directors of Everything, Everywhere, All at Once are... It's like they were formulated in a lab to annoy anybody who is not a far-left... Like like they they were they were like they they were like formed in a lab, because they were just they were just like spitting out every fucking thing you could say that would be like yes yes slay queen whatever and I'm not saying they were I'm just saying it was like you expected a chorus of progressive white women to start screaming black catchphrases they were so in tune with the algorithm um, they were so annoying. And I'm sorry, there's, there's ways of giving a speech. First of all, the editor, got to give a shout out to the editor of Everything Everywhere All at Once. White guy, like one of the directors. He always spoke first, by the way. Interesting that the white director for this Asian film always spoke first. Interesting. Very interesting. Making the Asian co-director subservient and go last. Interesting. Um, but the editor, I looked at him and I said, I think this guy was an actor who turned to editing because he was one of the best looking people on the stage all night. And he had a real calm, slick demeanor. I was like, did you really edit this film? Or are you up there like accepting an award for like a nerdy looking guy? But everything, everywhere, all at once, Michelle Yeoh won. Congratulations. I think Daniel Dead, Deadweiler, was that her name? Well, her chances of winning are dead. Um, she was not nominated for Till. I think that was the most glaring omission. As far as The Woman King, I thought it was a good movie. And certainly, if I were picking, it didn't make my top 10 for the year. But if I, but if I had to replace any of the movies that were nominated, I could have picked three or four. Um, Fablemans. But, but then what are you going to do? Fablemans is Spielberg. And Spielberg, I get it. I believe every movie should be judged on its merits. But I fucking hated The Fablemans. But it's Steven Spielberg. It's like... 
he is he's in the goat conversation and he's still making quality movies but i just was fucking bored to tears by by the fablemans but like tar was nominated and here's my beef because uh brendan fraser i also was like i thought the whale was mediocre i don't think that shit should have gotten any nominations it won and when it won for makeup i thought oh does that mean they're not going to give him the award but no like they gave him a, they put him in a fat suit and then they gave him the award for wearing the fat suit and crying um i thought that movie was so mediocre to be honest, I didn't think it was terrible. I was just like, this is like whatever. I would have given it to Colin. I would have given it to Colin Farrell or Austin Butler for Elvis. Um, I fucking no, no lie. I, I I watched Elvis again a few weeks ago. I fucking love that movie. I think that movie is so. I, and even though it has Tom Hanks' worst performance, hello my boy, we have to do merchandising. Um, he, how good a movie and how good a performance are you when you are carrying Tom Hanks' worst performance? And it's still an overall big success critically and commercially. And you had to drag Tom Hanks' worst performance of his career. Um, he won the Razzie for it. So to me, Austin Butler or Colin Farrell should have won. Complete what? What? Oh, fuck. Did I just... Oh, no. Guys, I think I just got requested to, to redo a fucking cameo, which I fucking hate. Oh, God. Oh, did he ask me to do another one? Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Yes. This is why Cameo always cheers me. He says the last one was perfect. These are like business cameos, so I get paid five times as much. For like business usage, he was like, the last one was perfect. Can you do, can, and he wants me to do another one for his marketing team. Yes, company. I'm not going to name the company, but yes, company. Damn. Hell yeah. Get that money, JL. See, but this is, again, proving my point. People who anybody uh, anyway no we're done with the gripe session but yes fool for a second i thought he wanted me to do it it turns out it was better news it was do another one you fucking impressions monkey uh so i would have been okay best actor austin butler or colin farrell those were the choices i have not seen bill nye in living and i haven't seen afterbirth or after sun or After Earth with that Irish kid. So, uh, fuck both of them. <laughs> but I thought Colin Farrell was great. And I thought Austin Butler was great. And I thought Brendan Fraser was hugely overrated. But the narrative was like, here's my thing with Brendan Fraser. Seems like a nice guy. He's, he's a nice actor. He's a nice family guy, whatever. Good, good. Well-liked. He's been in some big movies. He used to be super good-looking. Now he's like just a middle-aged uh, you know, guy past his prime. Great. Brendan Fraser doesn't rise, I'm sorry. He doesn't rise to the level of, it is Brendan Fraser's time. He delivers the performance of his career. Good, you got a nomination. Mickey Rourke in 2008. Former Hollywood heartthrob, up-and-coming guy, becomes a fucking weirdo. Crushes the shit out of the wrestler. To me, should have won in a walk. Wins almost every award leading up to the Oscars, but then California had a like an anti-gay marriage bill pass, I think, or referendum. And immediately Sean Penn won. And, and I felt like Sean Penn, obviously an excellent actor. 
I was like, wait, he won? And I couldn't believe Mickey Rourke didn't win. Mickey Rourke had had, I think, a more substantial career and gave a better performance to be worthy of the it's Mickey Rourke's time or, oh, wow, he just showed up and delivered like the, an incredible performance. Let's give it to him. So I just don't think Brendan Fraser was like in any way performance wise or historical do or, or, or the guy who should have won. Um, but he did. As much as I hated Tar, Michelle Yeoh winning, I was just like, no, no, not even close. As far as I'm concerned, not even close. And I know I realized that all at once. But like Kate Blanchett is quickly headed to that Meryl Streep territory where she's just going to be the one who's like, well, every time she fucking opens her mouth, it's an award worthy performance. So we'll nominate her. She's now like, I think, one for eight. And Meryl Streep is like four for 20 or some shit. Um, it's ridiculous. Like if you're nominated 20 times for an Oscar, you should have like seven wins because it's just sort of an acknowledgement of your overall dominance. Um, but I thought she should have won. I thought she should have won in in a, in, a, in like a in, a, in a walk. And instead, Michelle Yeoh well, yeah, won in a walk. Yes, that was racist. I will edit that in post. No, I won't. I do no editing. That was just I couldn't I couldn't avoid the, the pun. I'm sorry. That was very Jeremy Lin uh, racist pun. In, uh, it wasn't actually that racist. It wasn't as Jeremy Lin racist when they used a racial slur in a title to describe him having a bad game. Um, a blank in the armor. I think walk is not really... That was just more playful pun, I think. Well, anyway, uh, you can't cancel me when nobody comes to my shows. So that look at that. I'm, can't, I'm the other kind of cancel-proof. Dave Chappelle is cancel-proof because they try to cancel... You can try to cancel me, but guess what? I have too many bros homophobes, and otherwise aggressive people who want to support me. Whereas JL is also cancel-proof because when you sell eight tickets, what the fuck are you going to do? Take away his eight tickets? Congratulations. Either way, he wasn't having a show. He canceled himself. So me and Dave Chappelle are both cancel-proof um, for, for completely different reasons. But um, Jamie Lee Curtis won. Um, and everybody thought Angela Bassett should have won. And, and to me, it was like Angela Bassett was the first actor from a Marvel movie to be nominated for an Oscar. And I was like, yes, that's good enough. Like she was the first, like, but I, I don't, but, but she, I think she easily could have won because it was a good performance. It was a regal performance. It was very Oscar-y and you know, Hey, if you're going to give an Oscar to a Marvel actor, it might as well be one of the more accomplished veteran actors that's in the cast. Um, but they went with Jamie Lee Curtis. And um, I did think, ja I did laugh at Jamie Lee Curtis. I think it was a very fun performance she gave and a fun role she had. Like, I remember liking her in the movie. And, and just for the record, I liked everywhere, everything, all the time, in all places, uh, once in a while. I liked it. And said that to, to the girl. I said, oh, it was good. I, I, and I, my literal review when I got home after seeing it was like, oh, it's, no, I liked it. I, I enjoyed the movie. I, I don't know why everybody's calling it like the best movie of the year, but I liked it. And then all of a sudden the momentum just kept up and it became, you know, it's the shit's creek of, of, of cinema as far as I'm concerned. Where it's like, so, so a near sweep of seven awards by everything everywhere all at once. So we're just calling it like an elite all-time great movie. Just like when shit's creek, a... Mildly entertaining, often unfunny, but often on purpose. It was more like just a sweet, generally pleasant show most of the time that kind of ran on the same one or two comedic notes for five or six seasons. 
when that became the first comedy in Emmy history to sweep all categories and people want to act like that's not fucking ridiculous. Oh, oh, okay. So you and, and the same people that are like, oh my God, Shit's Creek was amazing. They're the same people who like a year later was like, I think Ted Lasso might be the greatest comedy ever. I mean, it might be the best ever. And it's like, okay, so you're, you're, you're a fucking idiot. Like you have full on recency bias dominating your brain. Um, All in the Family, Seinfeld, Arrested Development, um, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, any, any, like any fucking Norman Lear show. Any uh, uh, fucking Eastbound and Down. I know that'll never get considered, but Jesus Christ, incredible. Uh, Cheers, Cosby Show, In Living Color. Not that, like, like whatever you want to throw out, whatever comedies, you're just boom. Shit's Creek, Fleabag, Ted Lasso. So, so anything that's won an Emmy in the last six years is the greatest comedy of all time. Okay, gotcha. That's what it felt like with Everything Everywhere All at Once, where I'm like. You have great movies that are splitting Oscar ballots, but but they just got together and were like, but everything everywhere at once is just such an undeniable fucking masterpiece uh, uh, that we've never seen before. I mean, it's the fourth multiverse film in the last two years, but but we can't honor Marvel. <laughs> we can't honor, um, you know, and I say this as a guy who, you know, sometimes shits on Marvel, sometimes praises it, but you know what? If A24 had produced Avengers Endgame, it would have won 932 Oscars. But it was produced by a big studio, and a lot of people saw it, so fuck it. Um, this was in the sweet spot. It found just the cultural, financial, artistic sweet spot where it kind of got a piece of everything. It got the indie cred. It got the comic book vibe. It got the diversity cred. So it got like all this different sort of perfect gumbo of like, oh, this is like going to get love from all sorts of different corners for all sorts of legitimate reasons. But I'm sorry, like I just think uh, All Quiet on the Western Front is just like clearly, I mean, just should have should have won. If, if it wasn't going to go to my boy Tom Cruise, it should have won. Who the fuck is, is that Tom Cruise? No. It is not. It's a spam call from Sussex County. <coughs> Cough. Anyway, guys. Um, I, uh, I just, I, I, I didn't, to me it was like All Quiet on the Western Front, Kate Blanchett, Angela Bassett, I'm not as mad at that, but I just assumed she was going to win and thought that would be a fine choice. Um, but I would, I would redo, I think, most of, most of the winners. Um, everything Everywhere All at Once getting screenplay, I think, is a, is a good choice. But here's what pisses me off about that. Not that it won, because I think that's a good... That is, an, that is an award that it probably deserved, because it was a very... Complica- not, probably complicated to write. You know what I mean? A complicated. Now that of course means we have to see those directors again who wrote and direct. I think they wrote it. They were they were just atrociously annoying. Um, I said on Twitter and I said on Facebook. I didn't want to get the Twitter smoke from all the heroes, but I said on Facebook that uh, those two directors remind me of my shoulder surgery. Painful, annoying, and even worse because there have been two of them. And but they wrote it. I mean, it's a it's a very inventive, complicated script with a lot of entertainment value. So absolutely. But what annoys me about that is that I made that same argument for why Inception by Christopher Nolan should have won Best Original Screenplay. Because 
Oscars always jerk off for dialogue. They're always about dialogue. Like, I'm a, I also think, well, an inventive original concept is part of the screenplay too. It's not just what the characters say. The overall story is a main function of the screenplay. And I thought, sure, Inception doesn't have all the catchy, snappy Aaron Sorkin dialogue, but what an inventive, incredible story and, and script. And they gave it to King's Speech because King's Speech had the witty repartee that the Oscar voters jerk off for. But this year, you know, now that I was against everything, everywhere, all at once, but not in this category, really. I think it was a perfectly reasonable win in this category. But now they have awarded kind of like a dialogue story hybrid versus just going for the one, you know, because Martin McDonough is the playwright. So I thought he was going to win because his movie is kind of the... This, it's the dialogue-driven story, but they didn't. Probably because they gave him the win for Three Billboards a few years ago, um, which I did really enjoy that movie. Um, so I think the one win that I'm like all on board with Everything Everywhere All at Once winning is original screenplay. So just to show, just to show you it's not all dollars and cents that I'm not a hard-hearted man. She was the greatest piece of ass I've ever had, and I've had them all over the world. Now you get the hell out of here. What movie, guys? What movie? The Godfather, correct. Um, so I would have given it that, the screenplay. That's kind of the one award that I'm like, no beef, no problem with that. Um, I felt, to me, it's like director has become a category that I'm like, what the fuck are they doing with director? And, and one of the first times I raised a question about director was after I saw the James, the final Daniel Craig James Bond movie. No, I think it was No Time to Die, which I loved. And it was directed by, I think, Carrie Fukushima, if I'm saying that right and not being racist. Um, he, he had done Beasts of No Nation on Netflix and then he did, he won, I believe, an Emmy for his work directing all of season one of True Detective, which included, I think, the Emmy winning episode four with like that intense eight minute running shot with the McConaughey or whatever going through like the fucking white trash meth town or whatever. And, uh... Oh, I just had a thought of Alexandra Daddario also in season one of True Detective. Should have won an Emmy for that. If you know, you know. And, oh, by the way, I need to apologize. I was speaking very highly of uh, The Witches of Mayfair or Mayfair Witches on AMC. And boy, it came out of the gate so strong with three great episodes to kick off the season. And then I was just progressively disappointed episode by episode as it went on. Like I lost, I, I finished the season, but I, I don't know if I'll watch season two. It was just... It started so great. And three episodes is a good trial period to like see. And I was like, oh, okay, we're, we're three for three with three strong episodes. And then like it just fell off. So if you haven't, if you started that on my recommendation, uh, it's up to you. But I would say maybe bail. Um, but. Uh, oh, yeah. But, but like after watching that final James Bond movie, which got good reviews. And I was like. Or you could talk about Avengers Endgame. Or you'll talk about Avatar and Top Gun this year. Where you go, why is it directors only get credit for like these like either a war movie, which by the way, All Quiet on the Western Front won all the technical awards that it was nominated, almost all the technical awards it was nominated for, no best director nomination. Also strikes me as odd because war movies are kind of the one film, the one big movie genre that the Academy Awards kind of respect directors. Spielberg won his second Oscar for Saving Private Ryan. But but it seems like they went like smaller, almost like 
where I'm like, I, I'm not saying a director can't bring out great performances and, and have a vital role, even if it's not a small, but they seem to be like biased against big movies, which are sort of in some respects, more impressive, heavy lifts. So I remember watching the, the, the James Bond movie going like, why he's already like a critically acclaimed director. Why, why can't he get a best director nomination for like his work and the clear major project that he pulled off? Um, and this year it was like all the small films. And when I saw that All Quiet on the Western Front wasn't even nominated for Best Director, like as they read off the list, I said, oh, well, it's okay. It's everything everywhere all at once is going to win this one because, and, and not that it's not uh, an impressive movie in terms of its technical and scope and its, its, its storytelling. But, you know, I was just kind of like, okay, so it's, it's on. It's, it's nothing else has a shot now. So that's what happened. But um, I think the director category is always skewed towards like smaller movies like oh the subtle tone of the lighting and the performance he got out of smorgas finsvan in this amazing dutch film about a bread maker who finds out uh, that he has rickets and shingles and it's uh, a very powerfully moving small film but the direction, his fingerprints are all over this film. Um, I fell asleep nine times during it, but that was just because the tone the director had set was so powerful and rich. Um, whereas um, then I was forced to watch this uh, this this movie, Top Gun Maverick, which featured nice performances and incredible aerial work and very difficult things to film, but. And I stayed up the whole time, so it didn't give me naps to reflect on the power of the film I was seeing. I was, I was hugely invested and interested in what was going on, and that really detracted from me focusing on the director's style. I just sort of enjoyed the film and its scope and power, and um, never, you know, never had that that ten minute phase when I had finished my popcorn, where I just dozed off and had a daydream about how brilliant and interesting the director's choices were. And and um, so so I can't support Top Gun Maverick getting a director nomination or or any consideration in any categories other than sound. That is pretentious film critic character, brought to you by J O Covan. So, oh, and next month, by the way, for all you Patreon people or Patreon people considering, um, Ron Reagan is stepping in to do book reviews because the two books I'm reading for April's show are The Godfather. I was inspired by the, the that show The Deal on Paramount Plus um, and God is Not Great by Christopher Hitchens. So I will be reviewing those two books with God in the title as avowed atheist Ron Reagan, not afraid of doing Patreon book reviews. So that's a little treat for all of you. Maybe that'll entice uh, one or two of you to, to join up. Um, still trying to figure out when I can do the Ron tent, the Ron DeSantis content, but I do have his book. Yes, I bought the book as a prop. Sorry. Sometimes you gotta... My one purchase to roast him and mock him is worth it, I think. Um, but I'm trying to think what else happened in the Oscars. Um, you know, some of the speeches were really nice. Uh, the guy from... The, 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 the guy from Everything Everywhere All at Once won Best Supporting Actor, which I think his odds were like negative 5,000 on a website. Um... So meaning he was a shoe in and he gave a very nice speech. And I just want to say, he said, you know, it took me a long time. I had sort of retreated and quit on my dream, but I came back thanks to somebody who gave me an opportunity. 
so don't quit on your dream. And I just want to counter that and say, most of you should probably quit on your dreams. That's what I'll say. I think I'm a better comedian than Short Round is at acting. Yeah, I said it. I fucking said it. And I'm going to quit. And I'm going to do that. That's going to be, I'm going to set a, a more realistic, uh, worthy example. It's easy to tell everybody to follow your dreams once you've, once your dreams have been accomplished. But it's much harder to tell people to quit their dream. But sometimes that's what you need to hear. And uh, I'm here to tell all you, you young comics or you people striving to do something other than work a shitty day job and try to take care of your families or yourselves the best you can. Just do that. Just do that. And try to find the joy and peace and love in that. Don't follow your dreams. Because you know what dreams are? They're shit that happens while you're sleeping. That's right. And as George Carlin said, you know why they call it the American dream? Because you gotta be asleep to believe it. You gotta be asleep to believe it. It's a fucking joke. Okay, that started to turn into Italian George Carlin. Um, so, I also want to talk one other thing. One other movie-themed story. I watched Babylon on Paramount Plus. It's on Paramount Plus right now. It tanked with the critics. It fucking tanked horrifically at the box office, and it did poorly. Uh, it got roasted a little, a little bit by Jimmy Kimmel, and I don't think it won any awards. It was nominated for costume and production and score. I gotta say, we watched it. We gave it a chance. Now, here's why I think. I think Damien Chazelle, if anybody has paid attention, you got to know that this is a guy I'm a big fan of. He wrote Whiplash, which is a phenomenal... I love the movie Whiplash. It was my number two movie that year. I just remember that it was my number two movie the year it came out. Then he did La La Land, which I think made, which made my top ten. I might have had like seventh movie of the year, and he won Best Director of that. I think he was the youngest. He might have been the youngest director to ever win Best Director. Um, and then he made First Man, a space movie about Neil Armstrong, which was my number one movie of that year. So he's had three movies up to this point make my top ten, including a number one movie. Now, First Man got technical nominations but did not get uh, a Best Picture nomination. Uh, I, First Man, I saw it in the IMAX. I, I was blown away. I thought it was amazing. I thought it was fucking amazing. And what they did with the IMAX in terms of the moon landing was, 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 was incredible, I thought. But I thought it was like technically good and, and, and like it was just I I was I'm, I've been in a real like love of space shit for the last like five or six years. And man, I loved First Man. I thought it was it was just a great movie. Um, but basically, if you're Damien Chazelle, you're kind of like I'm fucking 33. I've made three excellent critically acclaimed movies. I've been nominated for multiple Oscars and I've won. I'm the youngest best director winner or one of the youngest best director winners ever. So my next movie, I'm going to go more ambitious. And I think he wanted this movie, Babylon, to be his, this is going to be the one. This is going to be the one where, like, you know, he put it all together and it won Best Picture and Director and Writer and Actress. And, like, and I think he, he bit off, it, it's not that he bit off more than he'd chew. I think he, he Oscar baited a little too much. And what I mean by that is, the first 30 minutes, and I said to I said to the righteous girlfriend as, as the film started, I was getting this vibe, I go, this is going to be one of those movies where they don't even give you the title until like 40 minutes in. Because it's like, whoa, what did I, like they want people to be like, whoa, what did I just see? This was intense. Wow. This guy has taken me into a whole nother fucking world. Babylon. And I was right. Like, like 31 minutes in, 
the title appears after this like 30 minute raunchy excessive excrement breast filled party scene just to basically be like the roaring 20s were fucking disgusting and filthy as filthy as any sort of like adult video awards party you might see it was like just just crazy and people are pieces of shit and racist and everybody's groping and fucking and doing drugs and it's disgusting and you're like oh the roaring 20s were truly fucking vile and disgusting um sex positive and liberated to some of you not afraid of raunchy parties sending me to hell so thank you ron reagan and then looking forward to your reviews by the way on patreon next month so that happens and i look at rice's girlfriend i'm like and she said it. She said it, and she said it about the guy. What's his name? A- what's his name? Ansel Egavort or whatever. The guy from Baby Driver who was in Tokyo Vice on HBO Max. What she said about that series when we watched it, she, and I thought it was hilarious and correct. She said, "I think this actor is really feeling himself in this role. And if you're feeling yourself, it shouldn't. We shouldn't know that." And she said about. Damien Chazelle with this movie, I think he's feeling himself. Now, once the party is over, once we get past that first like 31 minutes, we hit like a two hour and 20 minute run of kind of an excellent movie. Like the trailer for this movie, which I mocked on a previous episode, was atrocious. Like the only thing keeping me enticed was Damien Chazelle's name. The trailer was annoying. It was stupid. Let me tell you something. Brad Pitt's really good in the movie. Margot Robbie is excellent. I think the two most disappointed people in this movie, involved with this movie, were definitely Damien Chazelle and Margot Robbie. Because if this movie had been, first of all, promoted differently with a better trailer, because there's a new trailer on Paramount Plus that's completely different. It's a real two and a half minute trailer that would have gotten me much more interested in the movie. If you trim that half hour party scene into like 13 minutes... So you get the vibe, but it's not this kind of like, it's like Damien Chazelle was like almost consciously making a scene that he's like, this is what people are going to talk about this scene. They're going to say, I mean, have you ever seen anything like that 30 minute party scene to open up Babylon? I mean, it just hits you in the face with a kaleidoscope of emotions and gut reactions and just intensity that you were like, what am I getting myself into? And the answer is an Oscar-worthy whirlwind. That's what I think he was thinking in his head. And he's right to have confidence and a little arrogance and ego in his work with his, his early accomplishments as obviously a very gifted young filmmaker. But you can't be like conscious, so consciously aware that you're trying to make the thing that you want to make. Like, just make a good opening and let it happen. But it was... It was too long. It was too excessive. It was it almost got to a point of irritation. But the the middle 220 of this movie, it's a three hour and five minute movie. The middle 220, 225 is pretty much excellent. And Margot Robbie is really fucking good. And Brad Pitt is good. And everybody is kind of really good in the movie. And I was like, it has a pace that I'm just like, yeah, like I'm in, like, it, 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 it doesn't feel long. It's keeping this hectic pace, but it works for the bulk of the movie. And then the final 10 minutes of the movie is such a we love cinema jerk off. Like he wasn't, he knows that Oscars love movies about movies. But he, in the words of Robert Downey Jr., and pardon me for using the R word, 
He went full retard. He can't go full retard. That is the Tropic Thunder comment about why Sean Penn didn't win the Oscar for I Am Sam. He went full masturbation. He didn't just do a tribute to Hollywood or like, God, what a beautiful movie about the golden age of cinema or, or the, the underbelly of like the not so golden age of cinema. He went full, I'm going to give you a montage of like 20 different fucking classic movies. I'm going to make you just love movies. And it was like, why did you do that? Like you hammered home the point so excessively that it was blatant what you were doing. You were trying to get the Oscar for the We Made a Movie About Movies. And I, I, I can understand why you feel... And it must have been devastating, I think, to make for this movie to financially and critically bomb because within the three hours is an excellent two-and-a-half-hour movie. And I mean that. And, like, overall, I keep thinking about the movie, and I, I enjoyed it. Like, the half hour and the ten minutes bookending the movie were not bad enough to destroy my overall enjoyment of the movie. They were just enough to make you roll your eyes and be like, okay, okay. But that middle two and a half. So I, I would recommend it. I'm, I'm surprised. I, I like made fun of the movie with the preview. Who wants to see me fight a snake? Oh, yeah. And it was like, and it was too much. By the way, the score is fucking great. Righteous Girlfriend preferred the score from All Quiet on the Western Front, which did win that kind of menacing marching score but man i fucking hate jazz music but boy did i love the score for babylon so overall if you have paramount plus i think it's worth your time and i didn't think i didn't expect that i was kind of watching it perfunctorily going like well and as soon as it really is a piece of shit i'm turning it off and i actually gave a look over about 20 minutes in during that party scene i was like okay this is i mean what are we doing here but within that is a very very strong movie so uh, i recommend it and uh, other than that, I think that's it. So we've talked, we've bitched about comedy. We've broken down the Oscars. We've said some questionably racial things. We've recommended Babylon. We've done two Ron Reagan Juniors. And I think that's it. So hopefully I haven't gotten a work assignment, but I got another fucking cameo. Got to get that cameo money. Get paid, blow up like the world trade. And, uh... I think if I have anything else to tell you guys, I always like forget something and go, oh, that would have been funny if I had mentioned that. But I think that's it. That's all we have to talk about. My comedy, the Oscars, Megan, the Oscars, and uh, Babylon. So take that recommendation for, for, for whatever you think it's worth. Um, but thank you for listening. I uh, hope to see you guys at some of these shows, please. There's no better time than exactly right now to get tickets to my shows, wherever the one near you is. Obviously, we'd love to sell, start selling a lot more tickets to that April 1st taping of Person of Height. Um, and if we don't, we don't. You know, I'm just trying to accept the fate that I've been dealt, but it's it's going to be good. So if you're a fan, get your tickets. And if you're not a fan, uh, I'm sorry that you thought you were listening to someone else's podcast, but uh, thanks for the uh, algorithm boost. Bye, guys. See you next Tuesday.